We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Coachable Podcast. Around here, we believe that life is the ultimate training ground for finding out what you are truly made of. I'm your host, Tori Gordon, high performance coach and breathwork facilitator. And each week, I share intimate conversations and inspirational stories from some of the world's most successful people. It's time to stop standing on the sidelines of your life and get your head and your heart back in the game. So take a seat, grab a pen, because you're going to want to take notes as I pull back the curtain on the tools, resources, and inspiration that you need to unlock your inner champion. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to the show. I'm so glad that you're here. As always, it means the world to me that you take time out of your week, out of your day to come and listen to this show. So I trust that if you keep coming back week after week, that it is serving you in some way. And I just want to say thank you to everybody that has left a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. This really helps to promote the show and get it in front of new listeners. So thank you so much. And if you're um, ever inspired by something that you hear here, I ask that you would be generous enough to share that on um, or in a review uh, sometime in the future. So um, I also want to just jump in and remind you guys about a very exciting launch for ToriGordon.com. I don't know if last week um, I mentioned this, but the website ToriGordon.com has been relaunched uh, behind the scenes. My team and I have been working for months to really make this a um, really great user experience for you guys to find the tools, the resources, and the experiences in-person events, retreats, and free free resources really as easy as possible. That is why Coachable exists. That's why I started uh, this business two years ago to provide you guys with the tools um, to really transform your life from the inside out. And if you're listening and you're new here, you know, I, I just want to let you know who and and why I, I do the work that I do and who I do that for. Um, ultimately, I am here to serve the really ambitious, high achieving, smart men, man or woman uh, who is just ultimately recognizing that they can't outrun or outwork their unprocessed trauma. 
And I work with these people specifically because this person was me and this was my story. You know, I tried for years to outrun um, and outwork the things that I didn't want to face within myself, the pain, the grief, the trauma that I had experienced. And I thought that uh, simply by staying busy or acquiring accomplishments uh, or titles, um, it would make it all go away. Having a certain amount of money, having uh, certain external things. Um, but ultimately I found that, um, that was not the case ultimately. And I'm glad that I found that out at 27 because I can't imagine going my entire life running from myself and from my deepest truth that, uh, there are some things within us or that we go through that, we just don't want to accept or it's just easier to ignore. And it doesn't uh, make it better just by simply acting like it never happened or not acknowledging the pain that we've truly experienced because whether you know it or not, it's impacting how you show up in your life, in your relationships, in your career, and ultimately prevents us from truly being seen and known for the real version of ourselves, for who we really are. And so that's really who I'm called to serve. And if that's you and um, you, anything I share, I invite you to check out the website. I'm currently doing a site-wide sale, 20% off uh, my courses and programs, as well as some of my free uh, or accessible downloads. And then you can uh, definitely find free, free downloads and resources as well. We're also doing a free month of the Revive membership, the Revive Breathwork membership, if you register for the tier one program. And this is uh, going on, this discount is available until the 31st of July, so through Saturday. So make sure if you have been on the fence um, and considering working with me for a while, now's the time. Uh, This 20% discount also is um, good if you use it on a 60-minute mindset intensive with me. And if you don't know what that is, it's a one-on-one session where you and I really get to the bottom of what's holding you back in your life or business. And uh, this is the time to, to take action and to get a little savings as well. I'm so excited to introduce this week's guest. Laura D. Benedetto is a TEDx speaker and the author of the best-selling book, The Six Habits. In this episode, we talk about what those six habits are and how they're all connected to the world's most happiest people. So if you are interested in becoming the happiest person that you know, this episode is for you because as you listen and learn about these habits that are common denominators among those of us who claim to be happy in every area of our life, then this is something you definitely want to start to learn and implement in your own journey. So I hope this episode serves you. And without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Laura, welcome to the show. I'm so excited to have you on the Coachable Podcast today. Welcome, my friend. It's good to see you. Thanks. It's great to be seen and it's awesome to spend time with you. 
Yeah, definitely. This has been uh, sort of a long time coming. We were supposed to get on a get on one of these calls a couple of weeks ago, but I'm so glad we're able to make this happen now and have this conversation because as a best-selling author, as a TEDx speaker, you have so much wisdom and knowledge that you can share with this audience um, that's helped you to become the success that you are. And when I say success, I say that um, specifically not talking about just financial success or accolades, even though you have those as well, but you have been able to attain a level of success in terms of internal happiness that many people long for. And um, that's what I would love to kind of dive into today's podcast to talk about because uh, you've got some key essential uh, pieces of wisdom that you can share about how to how to find that and how how you did. So I'd love for you to just start off by talking about uh, briefly about your background and how you came to write the six habits um, and why you thought that was important. Sure. Uh, I'm thrilled to have this conversation, giving people just even a glimmer of hope into the pathway of uh, what a truly happy life is, is kind of my favorite thing now. So uh, I achieved lots of success and money and awards and did all the things. And then one day when I was just sitting with myself, I just felt the emptiness I felt like I don't need to tell you the big, long story. We've all felt the emptiness at one point or another in our lives where we're just looking in the mirror and like, really, this is it. And it just felt so hollow and empty because although money is a wonderful thing and it's a tool that can help you have happy experiences and blah, 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 it cannot, it cannot fill the big gaping hole that we have in, inside of us and in the, you know, the inside of our soul. And I definitely discovered that. And there's no amount of awards that will make you a more constitutionally happy person. There are no amount of friends that will make you feel truly fulfilled and, and happy with yourself or happy with life. And so when I reached this moment, this pinnacle moment, it doesn't even matter what the moment was all about. I reached it the same way we all reach it. And I just had that major reckoning with myself of like, wow, this, this is empty. I'm empty. I'm sad. And I think it's my fault because I was always chasing the wrong stuff. So as an American, I've believed the American dream of work hard, hustle, do all this stuff and burn the candle at both ends. And, you know, early bird gets the worm and all these other things. And it gets a lot of things. It does. Um, but it doesn't actually beget true inner happiness. So once I figured out what it wasn't, I really wanted to figure out what the heck it was. What is happiness really? And if you've seen my TED talk, you know how I opened it up, which is just with that one critical question, which is what do the happiest people have in common? I wanted to know because I wanted to be one of them. And this sent me on a crazy research mission because I didn't have the answer and the answer was not immediately apparent. So Obviously, we do lots of different things. You know, we exercise, we eat right, we pray, we meditate, we get good sleep, blah, blah, blah. But these are not the things that actually make us happy. 
they those are the results of a solid enough constitution. So it's not that we do those things, it's why we do those things. So it just led me down this rabbit hole of chasing the, that answer. What do the happiest people have in common? And when I found the answer, I started applying the principles and everything that resulted from my research to my life. I got so much out of it and I changed my own life and subsequently my clients' lives, my friends' lives, and all sorts of people that I continue to work with. It just seemed like a moral obligation to share this with people and Maybe you don't know this. Maybe the people don't listening don't know this, but you don't make a million selling books and that's okay. Like mm-hmm. I make four bucks. <laughs> like, believe me, I'm not doing this for the money. I want to see the world to be a better, happier place. And I really believe in that mantra, be the change you you know wish to see in the world. Well, I'm doing it, baby. I'm doing yeah. it. So that's why we're here. Yeah. And we need more of those people who feel compelled and inspired to share a message from service because- and not motivated. I think there's this, this distinct a distinction between motivation and inspiration. And when we're inspired, mm-hmm. we're compelled, we're drawn to share, and it's deeply personal. And that's something that, you know, I think from what you've described, this has been for you is a personal uh, journey that you went on seeking these answers within yourself and within, um, you know, the experts and and those that that claim this pure of heart happiness. And you talk about this, you know, this hole inside that was empty and that went unfulfilled. And I know that hole Um, I have, and those listening to this, um, I'm sure know my story that led me to totally change my life, career path and everything and commit my life to doing similar work. Um, And it was because I was, I was unfulfilled. Um, in my corporate job as well and felt there was more meaning and purpose to uh, my life if I were to go in a different direction. I'm curious, how do you describe what that internal gap or hole is and what is it longing to be filled with? That's a really good question. I wish more people would ask it. The hole as I see it and what I've seen just studying human behavior is it's a fundamental lack of a relationship with self. You know, we talk about like, oh, you know, who's your most important relationship? And we'll mention our husbands or our cat or our parents or our clients or God. Very few people will actually answer, well, my most important relationship is with me. And based on my research and my own personal feelings, that's the first place we need to be looking. Um, you know, we like, and, and for the, those of us that think like, oh, well, God must come first. That's true. But God is inside of us. And by putting ourselves first, we are putting God first. Um, it's, it's the whole thing with the whole, put your child's mask on before you put your own in the airplane. Who knew the airlines had it right this whole time. Mm. Um, but yeah, the big hole is generally because we have a really terrible relationship with ourselves and we don't even realize it because mm. as a culture, you know, we're actually socialized away from self socialized away from anything that remotely resembles anything selfish, particularly women. We are discouraged from doing anything for ourselves. No, no, no. We're here to serve others. We are here to decorate the world by being beautiful. So yes, everyone has it harder, but as a woman, I can say that um, it's definitely added some extra layers to this to actually have the courage to realize, oh shoot, 
the hole that I have inside of me, not only did I put it there, but the culture we live in and the society that we all participate in has actually helped to reinforce the hole. And this mm. is going to take a lot of courage on my part to decide that I no longer want this hole here. Yeah, I think it brings up a couple of things. One, you mentioned how we are conditioned to outside of ourselves. And I think the first thing that I, I think about when you say that is, although society and culture might, you know, condition us through propaganda or advertising or media to need something, right? That we're not enough on our own. We need whatever it is that that they're selling. Um, but our, our five senses do this too. And it can be super tricky. You know, our, um, sight, our, our, you know, our ability to hear all of these, all of our senses are pointed outward, which play a little trick on us to think that the answer maybe that we're seeking is external. And, um, I think this is why so many people like you and I spent a large portion of our lives seeking answers to questions in, in jobs or relationships or external things only to come up short. And then ultimately when you're curious enough, realize maybe I need to look in the opposite direction and go yeah. inward. And when you also talk about this whole um, coming and stemming from a lack of sense of self, it really brings up this question that I think every single human being has to ask ourselves and, and we should is who am I? Yeah. Who am I? Who am I without my labels? Mm -hmm. What is my with identity? Uh, roles, totally divorced yeah. from it. What is my identity? What are my adjectives? Mm -hmm. You said something I have to comment on. Uh, you mentioned the five senses. Mm. There are so many more than just the five. So I think that's one of the things that we as a culture also get wrong is we teach little kids that we've only got five, right. but we also have a sense of movement. We have mm. a, uh, we have a, an internal like physical sensation of inertia. We can, mm. we can sense time passing. We can sense our own intuition, mm -hmm. right? These are all senses. I, I think there's like a list somewhere of like 23 senses that we have, but we only talk about the major ones that are external forcing or focusing. Right. And if we're able to actually as a culture, teach our children and thusly teach ourselves that we have much more and we need to pay attention to all of them, particularly our intuition. Like, man, I got a gut feeling about that guy. He seems like a jerk. And then it turns out when you're, you don't listen and then you were right in the end, it's like, yeah. Ooh, maybe this whole gut feeling is onto something. That's a, that's a sense I need to pay attention to as well. Mm -hmm. Um, so there's so much that we just don't pay attention to because we're not taught to do it. Yeah. And I think my life's mission is to teach what was not taught me it, to me Amen. growing up, you know, <laughs> um, that's what being coachable is all about, that, that we're a student of life. And unfortunately, so many of the critical skills, like asking the question, who am I? Um, what's my purpose? Why am I here? What matters to me? What's important? Not because I've been taught it, that it's important, but what's important because it's, that's what matters in my life. These are questions mm -hmm. that we're often not, um, encouraged to explore. And so I'm curious when you went and you started to inquire within yourself, ask these questions, um, seek a more intimate relationship with your own life. Uh, what were your findings 
uh, as you kind of started to study human behavior and uh, the things that the happiest people have in common? Well, I discovered something that is akin to Columbus discovering America, the thing that millions of people already knew about. Humans are messy. Amen <laughs> to that. Right? We're messy and we have so many like emotions and we have this constant opinion narrative running in our heads. And we're always like criticizing our behavior and criticizing life and criticizing our actions and blah, blah, blah. And the the central theme that I discovered that the unhappiest people have in common is a set of six specific mental behaviors that are repetitious. And then the happiest people, by contrast, have the opposite of those six things, but they're, they're in the light. They're the joyful things. So the book aptly named the six habits is all about, um, the six mental habits that we can either live in the dark side of or the light side of. So they, they're broken down actually. And I continue to learn more about this. The more I research, I mean, the book is published, it's out there, but I continue to learn more and more, which is so fun. Um, and the, and these, these six habits are actually broken down in almost like three really clean little piles. And I'll explain what they are. So the first one is your relationship with yourself. Um, and that has two, the first two habits in it, which is kindness to yourself by yourself and acceptance, which is unconditional love of yourself. So it's, it's not just how you feel about yourself, but it's how you actually behave in accordance with that feeling. So it's both of those things, relationship with self, then relationship with life and what goes on and your interpretation and interaction with it and how you receive and appreciate or not appreciate what's going on. The second, the second batch of the habits, habits three and four are gratitude and presence. And listen, I want to high five everybody that writes their little like top 10 list of things they're grateful for every night, but that's really just doing yourself a disservice. If you're just high fiving yourself for the 10 things that went right that day, deep, profound gratitude. It's like a lifestyle. Mm -hmm. And it's like taking a look at everything that goes wrong, even the poopy stuff and looking at it through a sense of appreciation and also um, a certain sense of detachment, not taking things so personally, being present with things allows you to experience your grief more fully and completely the first time, joy more thoroughly, more memorably. Uh, and then the third category grouping is the the cluster of how we relate to action and these habits, five and six, are the habit of goodness and the habit of intention. Now, when we take a look at goodness, it's not immediately apparent what that is. Goodness is basically simple math. We're adding more good stuff and we're tossing out the bad. Goodbye. And here we are in 2021 and social media is a steaming pile. I want nothing to do with it. You're having a great time. God bless you. That's good. But like, I find it to be really toxic for my well-being. So I have to have the responsibility to be my own gatekeeper. Be like, no, you make me feel bad. You got to go. Mm -hmm. um, but then friendships like I have with you, that makes me feel good. So I'm excited okay. to talk to you. And I go out of my way to proactively add more Tory to my life. Um, and, and I have to be conscious of what's happening and maybe I exercise and maybe I go to the gym and I maybe, maybe I go to the beach and watch the sunset. These are adding good things. Maybe I need to get 
you know, my uncle off of the Thanksgiving invitation dinner list because all he does is talk about the president and I don't want to hear about it. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying, right? Yeah. And then and then habit number six is the habit of intention. Now, sister, I know you know so much about intention. Intention is knowing what the hell you want, why you want it, and how you're going to make it happen. Mm-hmm. And even if you take an itty bitty little step forward, as simple as just getting dressed, that is moving you closer to your goal. And it's being super clear um, and taking action, particularly when you don't feel like it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. now all of these six habits, they actually interact with each other. When you do one, the other five are easier. When you do all five of pick one, pick five, one that maybe you're struggling in becomes easier. They're all supportive. And being able to take a look at two opposing humans through the lens of these habits it's, it's actually, you see them on display. So Tori, just with me, I want you to visualize someone that you've met who, and it might be your former self, who's a really negative poopy pants. Okay. They're like really negative sitting there. Poor me. Why is everything going wrong? Why can't I make more money? Oh, this is so wrong. And I can't believe I have to sit in traffic again. Ugh, my dreams are not coming true. Meanwhile, this person is like, you know, got a black cloud over their head. Everything's going wrong and they're poorer and fatter than they need to be. Right. Then by contrast, you take a look at someone like yourself now where you approach life with positivity. You love yourself. You stand tall. Your back is straight. You look in the mirror and you look at that girl and you're like, you can do it, girl. And you do. And you go out there and you get the things done that really light you up. The difference, it's not so much that these are two human, two totally different humans. They could be a yesterday you and a today you. The difference is in which side of the habits you want to live in, more specifically, automatically and by default. It's not that you visit once. It's that you live there. Yeah, this is so important and there's so much here that we could dive into. Um, but when you're <laughs> just, know. you know, when you're just describing those two people and yes, they are two versions of me and anyone listening, two versions of you. And we've all lived on the, the light and shadow sides of both of, you know, these kind of archetypes. But one that you're describing is this victim consciousness. You know, why me? Why is life hard? Life is hard. You know, things don't work out for me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and as a result of that, oftentimes we're, we blame or shame other people. We're very judgmental or very self-critical, uh, insecure, all of these things as a result. And I've definitely, uh, been there and can identify when I dip back into that, uh, as well, because when I look down this list, when I start to operate from that ego mind or from that shadow aspect of self, you know, I'm, it's so beautiful how you've kind of strategically lined these up, relationship to self, relationship to life, relationship to action, because they are so uh, inner interconnected. I become less kind. I become more judgmental, you know, when I'm in, uh, that shadowy side, I'm, um, certainly, not grateful and great, great gratitude requires presence, which requires us to be in that moment to intentionally set our focus on what is going well, what do I have, in what ways am I blessed? Um, and, and then the action piece, goodness and intention, you know, I think for many people who might be listening to this and you're thinking, 
how do I become an overall more fulfilled, happy person? I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, Laura, but I think we all have to start with an intention, an intention to change, an intention to evolve, an intention to uh, want something more for ourselves um, and to even notice that gap in our own yeah. lives starts with that an intention to fill it, uh, fill it not with something hollow, but with something that can actually um, fill that, that space. Totally. You know, uh, the, the Ted talk was actually so it was, I mean, it was rewarding to give it, but the real gift for me was actually writing it mm-hmm. because, um, writing and rewriting and making it more brief and concise. It, what a gift for me, right. To just know the material and know this research even more. Um, and, and, and really just looking at the gifts that we can give ourselves, like it really has to come from a place of deep awareness of what these seemingly simple, innocuous things are, because they're not simple. Just because we've heard the words before, it doesn't mean they're simple, because I'm not talking about do it once. I'm talking about live this way, mm-hmm. to live in a way you are consistently and always kind to yourself you have to first be aware that those are the six markers. Those are the six pillars. And it's not like there's seven and I wanted a nice tidy little title. Believe me, I did exhaustive research and I really studied quite a bit. This is it. These are the six pillars of happy life. So once you know about them, then you need to know about yourself and you need to actually hold yourself up against the ideal for all of these. And Tori, I invite you to do this too. hold yourself up against your ideal for what each of these could look like when you are your kindest to yourself. That's your marker. Are you living that way all the time or just once in a while? So you need to figure out where you stand. And you know something? The real like intention to change comes from the third thing, which is inspiration. You have to see yourself really clearly and have this moment of reckoning when you look in the spiritual mirror and almost sheepishly look at it and like, oh crap, I built that mess. Yes, honey, you did. And you can unbuild it too. Because if you were able to construct this, you can unconstruct it and build something else. And the, the inspiration, along with the belief that you can actually get there, it's, it's huge. And the crazy part is like, when I start working with my clients one-on-one, they're, it's so funny. Nobody ever thinks they're as awful to themselves or as like checked out of life or distracted. They're like, no, 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 I'm fine. Are you, are you really? Let's pick that scab. And we start looking and then there's this beautiful moment of truth and reckoning of like, oh my God, I don't feel like I'm worthy. I I'm not nice to myself. I make myself do crap I don't even want to do. I chase dreams that aren't even mine. I I constantly live to please my mom. And I'm, you know, I just, you know, I never feel like I'm good enough. And I'm on this dieting hamster wheel. Why am I doing this? Once you have this moment of, ah, that's when we're able to see like the massive transformation of like, well, now hold on. Let's talk about the moments when you visited these places all six of them, and you did it really well. Let's talk about most kind you, most unconditionally loving you, even if it's only once a year for two minutes. What does that version of you look like, mm-hmm. right? And then 
It's how do you get there? And how do you get there? Honestly, this is like the the stuff that I get into like really in detail in my book and also through the self-inquiry exercises that all free with it. But basically, you have to force yourself when it's uncomfortable and weird to live at the optimal state of your best you for long enough that it can be a habit. So I also did uh, research into the science of habit because I am the CEO of a marketing company. Marketers everywhere would love to have you believe habits can be cultivated in 21 or 30 days so they can sell you more stuff. It's unfortunately a lie. Mm-hmm. And the, um, the truth is it's 66 days minimum for a human, any human, to develop a new habit. And just try just try starting to floss every day and then go ahead and tell me you did it in 21 days. You'd be lying. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think we, um, something that you, you touched on that's really important is the application of how, okay, now these are the things that I need to implement into my life, right. And consciously, mm-hmm. um, practice kindness, consciously practice acceptance of self, you know, all the ones that you listed, And to your point, very, very quickly does the resistance come in. And this is something that I teach my clients is we all get super excited January 1 or whenever we're going to start the new thing. And we're like all Mm -hmm. pumped, right? Yes, I've got Laura's book and she gave me all the tips. And now I know exactly how to take my life to the next level. Here, watch me like watch me kill it. And then you're probably on day four. Like Mm -hmm. and life happens. My (laughs) I don't have a whole new life yet. Why is this taking so long? Or why Mm -hmm. is this harder than I thought? And now you're faced with that resistance. And it's what happens and what we do in the resistance that matters. It's because that's where people give up, right? And habits never form. Um because I think as humans we have a very low tolerance for discomfort, very low. And I think this goes back to trauma and emotional wounding and dysregulated dysregulated nervous systems, which is a whole nother conversation. But regardless, very few people know how to be resilient in the face of discomfort or create new associations with any type of psychological or emotional pain. As soon as we feel like something's, challenging. We're like, oh, what do we do? And our brains are taught to escape that because it thinks it's a threat. So how do you work with people when they've got maybe a really clear intention and they want to apply all of this stuff and they know what to do, but they can't get themselves to do it? Yeah, this is um, a big thing that many of my clients come to me with often saying, I know what to do. Because the truth is we're all a Google search away from a laundry list of things. If we only applied one of them, our life would change. (laughs) I know, right? It's such a good question. I'm really glad you asked. I mean, so many people struggle with this. And, you know, um, the fact is we live also in a society and culture that basically celebrates, um, you know, escaping from pain. That's what we do. That's how people sell you more crap. Oh, you're, you're slightly uncomfortable here. Throw money at it and then it'll mm-hmm. go away. Right. So we're trained to do that. And when we enter into something like this, first of all, it's so helpful. And you know, this from your work with your clients and I see it every day and work with mine. 
You have to know it's hard going in and decide to do it anyway. Just know it's going to be hard and have a plan ahead of time. And I coach my business clients on this and my habit clients on this as well. It's like, have a plan for when you don't feel like doing it, because I assure you that moment is coming. So I built, because I love buffers and I love winning anyway, I built a 90 day habit mastery program because 66 to me, I can't do anything consistently for 66 days. I'm just being honest. I'm the creator of the program, (laughs) right? So I created this thing for 90 days and 90 seems to be better because it allows for the habits to still form, but also for you to skin your knees and fall sometimes. Cause you will like when I did the, um, initial thing to change my own life, you know, you actually do get to see benefits right away. Cause that's the thing. If you're living at the peak expression of all of these awesome things, you feel great. The first day you're like, holy crap. Right. But you're not, not used to this. And your old self is like, no, I like being miserable. I want to be safe. Therefore I want to be small and insecure and I don't want to go after my dreams. And they're almost like sitting there pouting. Hmm. Right. And they like your old habits are trying to sabotage you like crazy. So when I'm working with people one-on-one, I have the opportunity to really kind of walk them through the hard moments, text me if it gets hard, blah, blah, blah. And it does. Um, but not as often as you think. Um, and then when people do the self-study program, I have so many things built in that talk about the difficulty because sticking with anything, first of all, it's hard even without like the hurdles, but the hurdles come and then life happens. Somebody dies, you get a cold, you know, you don't feel good one day you forget. And then people tend to be very all or nothing like, Oh no, I fell off the wagon. Well, I screwed up the whole program, whatever. I'll just start again next year. And I help people to train themselves to be like, no, no, no. Today was just a day. It's all good. You know, keeping the why front and center. I mean, the reality is there is no one silver bullet. It's actually multiple tools that we have to use to outwit our old self that is not going down without a fight. Yeah. And that old self is, you know, the ego and the ego is always constantly trying to reinforce its reinforce its idea of itself. If I believe that I'm not worthy, if I delete, believe I'm not deserving or I'm not wanted or I'm mm-hmm. not whatever the belief is, we're going to go out looking for that evidence that that's true. And that one day we fall off the wagon and you're like, yep, I knew it. I'm not cut out for this. Oh, yep. And that's the evidence. It's like, oh, that self-sabotaging type, you know, thought spiral that we can get in and mm-hmm. totally, you know, think that we haven't made any progress, even though we've only, you know, might've fallen off one day. And one of the things that I also share is in that season and and time of resistance, because it's sort of the way I see it, kind of three levels of mastery, that excitement phase, that second phase is resistance. What we do there is what makes the whole difference. And then kind of the completion phase of maybe like the habit is totally formed. Now it's, Mm -hmm. it's, I can do it in my sleep. That's what mastery is, right? I can do this in my sleep. Mm -hmm. I shouldn't have to think about it anymore. Right. Exactly. It's, it's now programmed in my subconscious. I don't have to relearn how to brush my teeth every morning. I do it as a out of habit. Right. And so, but another piece of that, that like portion of mastery in the resistance is giving up this idea that I can go it alone and I don't need anybody to recognizing that I have to have support success. You can't be successful and isolate. 
<laughs> is what I found. Um, that's why people say like teamwork makes the dream work. It's that, that's what we say that for a reason, or it takes a village, you know, to, to start a business or raise a child. Cause we need each other and having, whether it's in a coaching program or, you know, one-on-one or any type of scenario where we are developing and growing, we need the collective co-regulation and support of other people to remind us when we forget why we started or to give us that boost of inspiration and encouragement when we're down on ourselves. Because when in isolation, and I know this personally to be true, that's when I can talk myself into and out of anything. (laughs) Right? It's like, (laughs) oh, this is not that important. Actually, presence sucks. And I'm going to go back to binge eating or I'm going to go back to doing whatever. Ben and Jerry's, where are you? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My God, you're so right about that. I, yeah, I, I really think that that's a, that's a very important point. Yeah. And another thing just that I'm curious your thoughts on, um, that people might have this come to mind when they're listening to this back because it came to my mind and it, it's something that I kind of discuss with a lot of my clients, which is for those who are beginning to imagine a life where they are fulfilled, where they are deeply happy. Um, a, a question that I'll often ask them is who in your life is happy? Mm. Who in your life, who has a life that you would like, you know, that you think that they are living the type of life you would want to live or experiencing the feelings you would like to, to experience. And so few of us genuinely have people who mm-hmm. are an example of what a life like that is. Unfortunately, given all that, uh, just the state of the world in general, um, there are many people that are deeply suffering and the the examples around them are, are more of the same. You know, we've seen our parents struggle or we see, saw their grandparents struggle or whatever it is to help people to imagine a different life can often be, be challenging. Who was there someone in your life that, you know, you came across that inspired you to think, Oh, life could be different or I could have that level of, of happiness or joy, or I could be that free. I wish I was like that person. Was there anybody that you, you know, kind of modeled that after or inspired you? Or was it just something that you knew intrinsically that was available, but maybe you didn't have a outright example of it? I didn't have an outright example. So I guess you could put me in the majority of the population where I didn't have a specific hero, but I have always been an observer of people, a people watcher, if you will. Um, you know, before the world got weird, my husband and I used to like to just sit on a park bench and watch people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I also noticed a lot of wonderful things like, wow, I love that m- my friend Tammy is always so just comfortable with herself. And I love that my friend Ruta, she just travels everywhere with so much courage all by herself. And it, like, I took a lot of the people that I love and the things that I love the most about them. And I love that because and I'd like to do more of that. And I love this one because 
I, you know, I'd love to do more of that. And I started to think about the things where maybe it would be uh, a fuller life for myself. Um, I really love that you asked that question. And I think so many people can do the same thing. Like it doesn't have to be one person. There probably isn't one person because at the end of the day, the, the person you're trying to emulate and get to is basically just a vet, better version of you. Mm. So why try to copy someone else? But you can always take little things that inspire you and delight you from others and, um, you know, just see what's possible. But, you know, for my own journey, I I knew that being a miserable weenie was not it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I was like, no, I even remember being a really happy little kid. And I remember like my really happy moments. And I remember when my marriage felt more joyful than this. And I remember just having more fun and just not being so blah all the time. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, I had a lot of heroes. I had old me, new me, all my, you know, friends that inspired me. You know, the wonderful thing that I, I have to make this point, when I learned to finally truly love myself, my goals actually changed. And believe it or not, they became more humble. And a lot of people would probably think, oh, well, no, you know, you've done a TED talk and you've got your money and you retired young and blah, blah, blah. And I did those things. And oddly enough, they didn't make me any happier. They were fun to do, but they didn't make me any happier. The When I actually asked myself from a place of true self-love, what do I truly want? Not trying to please other people, not to try to impress my peers in the business world, not trying to earn people's approval, not trying to impress my mom, not trying to make anyone proud of me. When I want to just make me happy, what do I truly want? I sat with that question for quite a while and I started to think and I was like, huh, this is almost scary to like really contemplate this because I'd have to let a lot of people down and I'd have to go do some really crazy stuff that's a little out of character for me. And I don't care about money as much as I thought I did. And huh, it was just really interesting. So I moved to Hawaii because that was something that I wanted. Pissed off my mom real good. Um, I, uh, I don't live in a huge home. I don't want it. I don't want to clean it. I have a car that I plan to drive till the wheels fall off. Cause I just, for me making purchasing decisions of that magnitude, it's more stressful than just keeping the damn thing. Mm. So I want for me, I want a simple, happy, fulfilled life where I don't have to make a lot of decisions and I can be with my husband, my, my, the people that I love and get to do really cool stuff, like tell people about happiness, tell people about habits and hopefully inspire people to maybe take a look in the mirror and see what's on the inside. Yeah, no, I mean, it's so funny that you said when I started to love myself, my goals started to change because, and it, it's different how people come to ask these these questions, who am I, what do I really want, what do I really desire, and how do I get what I want? And those are three of the questions that I focus on most in my work. But to be able to retire early, obviously, is, is a big achievement and something that you should be very proud of, but it also lends to a, another gap. Okay, I've achieved this ability to retire. Now there's all this space and there's all this time that is now available where most people live their whole lives trying to reach that goal. Okay. And now that goal has been achieved. And now what do I do with the rest of my life? Mm -hmm. And 
I think there are these transition points and they can be at your, in your thirties, they can be at your, in your sixties, you can be at all different times where people find themselves at a crossroads in life and are asking these questions. Maybe it's after retirement. Maybe it's after they graduate college. Maybe it's after a divorce. What now? After their kids leave home. Right. Exactly. As a whole. Well, who am I now? Who do Mm -hmm. I, who am I now on the other side of this, you know, experience and who do I want to be going forward and how does my life, my actions, my habits need to adjust to, to help create that. And to your Mm -hmm. point earlier about not having somebody that you could directly look to as an example for happiness, I think that's so true. And I don't, I didn't have one myself, but what I did do and what you kind of alluded to by looking at and taking things that inspire you from your friends and from other people, this is how I found out what do I value? And I'm curious if you have a better technique or tool for doing this, but identifying our values is, is so important. And the way that I did it is looking at what were the things that I admired in other people. Was it, and a lot of them, a lot of them were these things that you mentioned in the six habits. They were presents, right? I mm-hmm. love this thing about my friend who, when she's having a conversation with me, she's totally locked in and she's totally engaged. And, you know, she's not looking at her phone, da, da, da. like I admire her presence or I admire, you know, that this person knows exactly why they're doing what they do. They're not doing it flippantly just because it's something else to do. They have intention with It's also their, their default. And I was like, I want this, I want this. And that's how I started personally at the beginning to start to understand the things that I valued um, so that I could create a life based on those values and start to cultivate them for myself. Whereas if we don't do that, I think oftentimes we're just walking kind of dazed and confused through life, just doing whatever's, you know, whatever we see other people doing. And then we find ourselves one day waking up and be like, I have no intention behind what I do. I just do it because everyone else does or because my friends think it's cool or because my boyfriend likes that kind of music. That's what I'm into now. And we don't know how our momentum. Yeah. This is the way I've always done it and I'm doing it because this is what I do. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah, in answer to your question, I don't think that I have better ways, but I've definitely come up with a lot of ways. Um, I love being inspired by people I admire, just like you. And I think that we can also be inspired by ourselves if we give ourselves permission to do it. You know, when I was younger, what did I like about myself the most? Or looking back, who or like, what are the aspects of my former self that I really, really appreciated about the old me? And, you know, 20 years from now, who would I be most proud to be? Like, those are tougher questions. It's easier to externalize. And for a beginner, I think we should start outside because it's definitely easier and it doesn't get discouraging. You know, that whole, like we back away from discomfort thing. Mm-hmm. So start, but you, you know, by looking at, um, you know, by others out there and yeah, see what you like. I mean, shoot, look at your parents, look at the people you do business with your friends. Like, you know, shoot, there's so many wonderful things out there that you can admire in people. Like I just think about some of my friends, like my friend, Amy, no matter what, 
No matter what insane harebrained idea she's got, she believes in it with a passion like you've never seen. I love that about her. She is her own biggest believer and her own like one person engine. Like that's incredible, you know? And like my friend Christine, she always has like this like unbelievable like belief in her ability to do something. She's like, no, I'm going to do that. That's a huge goal. Absolutely. I don't care. I got this covered. Um, So it's just, it's nice. Oh, and by the way, if you really want to inspire yourself, tell these people what you love about them and they will sit there in this warm and fuzzy glow with you. And maybe you can ask them about it. Like, how did you get to be this way? And like, what made you decide that this was an important way for you to be? Yeah. Yeah. So true. It's so true. And then going just one step further down that road, because once you've really identified what are these qualities, what are these values that I want to step into like 20 years from now, what do I want to be remembered for? How do I want someone else to describe me? What are the things I would, you know, that I really want to embody? Something that's helpful is starting to identify is the action that I'm about to take. So if, if one of the things I really admire about somebody that I want to step into is um, greater intention around my, uh, my health and, mm. and wellness and how do, I, how do I take care of my body? How do I honor its needs and what it's asking for? And in the moment, I really want to freaking go to the Dunkin' Donuts drive-through, right? And <laughs> my mind is like, yes, get it. You deserve it. You're, you deserve to feel good. Right. And then, so I I tell people a good way to kind of decipher, is this my brain kind of tricking me into thinking that, that I want this or not is ask yourself, is this decision going to make me more of who I want to be or Mm. not? Is it going to take me further away from who I want to be? Am I going to feel worse as a result? Because the brain has its way of sending all those good, happy, like all those good chemicals to yep. your brain to saying, yep, yep, it's going to feel good. It's going to taste good. You want it. You want it. And then afterwards you get the crash. You're like, dang it. I shouldn't have done this or I've gotten off my habit or whatever. Um, Are you implying that Dunkin' Donuts is not the holy experience that we all regarded as? You know... I don't know. I think it still is, but (laughs) I still, I still frequent it quite a bit, which maybe I'm sharing this for myself, but I do ask myself that question. Is this going to make me more of who I want to be? Um, is, you know, snoozing the alarm going to make me more of who I want to be? Uh, and so often that answer is very clear. I have a very clear answer. Yes or no. And Mm -hmm. can we learn to, to lean into those answers in the moment and act according to that? True. There's also another side to this as well. It's like, you know, if we set ourselves up to be a certain way and then our actions never seem to align with that, we need to actually check in with the goals that we've set for ourselves because maybe we're still trying to live according to this definition that society has set or that our mothers set or our friends have set of what they expect our happy lives to look like and who we should be. What if 
you actually are the person that likes to, I don't know, be a night owl. Like I'll, I'll tell you this just from my own life. My husband doesn't mind when I throw him under the bus cause he's under there anyway. But, um, we talk about his night owl tendencies, right? And for years he's felt really, really bad about it. He's like, my God, I wish I could just get up early. And he sets his alarm and he always hits snooze. And I was like, sweetheart, why do you want to be a morning person so much? Why do you want to do that? He goes, because successful people are morning people. I'm like, mm-hmm. do you think any night people are successful? And he's like, no. I was like, well, you're looking at one. I built my company at like 3 a.m. for years. So I worked when the world was sleeping. So what do you think? He's like, yeah, I suppose. I just, you know, I just want to feel more successful, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, I hear you. I think the first step would be to just acknowledge how you are because you continue to vote with the snooze button every morning that I am a night owl. I am a night owl. I am a night owl. So, honey, what would happen if instead of changing yourself to fit this idea, what if you change the idea to fit your fit you? Mm-hmm. He's like, okay, well, what would that mean? Well, that would mean that you just acknowledge that you're a night owl, learn to love this about yourself, learn to love the fact that when wifey goes to bed, cause I'm not a night owl anymore. Um, you get to work uninterrupted for like five hours and make your own dreams come true without disturbing me, taking quality time away from me, nothing. And you're working while the world is sleeping and it's all good. What would happen? He's like, I think I could maybe do that. Maybe I'll be happier. So guess what? He gave himself permission and he's realized, I don't actually want to be a morning person. No, you don't. And I am actually really successful and happy at night. Mm -hmm. So guess what happened? He started working harder at night. Now he gives himself permission. Automatically, he wakes up earlier because he's not living in constant self-judgment. He wakes up earlier. He works late when he feels like it. And he's approaching his work with so much more joy Mm -hmm. and enthusiasm. And he's approaching everything from the I love myself perspective versus I hate myself. You can flog yourself into success. I know I've done it. Or you can joyfully love yourself into success. And believe me, one is much more fun than the other. Yeah. It's so true. Like the shoulds in our lives limit us so much. I I should be a morning person. I should do this. I should do that. And it's so restricting. Um, Mm -hmm. and it makes us wrong. It makes us wrong if we don't do it. And I always like to, to switch it and say, once I have all my shoulds, I should leave my inbox on zero. I should, you know, call my mother. I should clean the house. I should whatever. And then I take the list and I'll ask people if I really wanted to, I could, if I really wanted to, I could X, Y, and Mm -hmm. Z. And then it it re-empowers you to make the choice. Do I want to, or do I, is this a want or is this an obligation? And and it makes Beautiful. you less wrong, right? It's I, This mm-hmm. is a choice. And now I can prioritize what's meaningful to me and mm-hmm. that which has been conditioned into me. I said, you know, one of the most important things we can do is start to decipher what's important versus what we've been taught is important. Mm-hmm. Totally. Right. And I think, I mean, you're, you're so right when you say that. And I think that when we can really just tap into acknowledging that we actually have a little rebel inside of us. And when we silence the rebel, the rebel is like, oh, well, I don't have anything to rebel against. You're right. So then your better self can come forth and actually make a good choice out of 
joy versus obligation. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you'll be like, you know what? Maybe my better self would put the ice cream down, you know, because I, you know, I just, I don't need it. But even though my rebel wants it, my rebel isn't the boss here. I'm the boss, you know? Yeah. It's so, so, so powerful when we take that resistance away because now we're not in resistance to what we think we're supposed to do or we should do. Right. We just, we get to be an acceptance of who we are and what mm -hmm. is, and then intentionally choose what we want mm -hmm. to do going forward, which brings us kind of back circle, uh, full circle to what we started talking about uh, today, which is the six, the six habits. And I'm curious just to wrap up today, uh, which of the six habits was the hardest for you to cultivate in your own life and kind of how you were able to um, create that, that space for yourself to integrate that more fully. Sure. Um, I want to start with the easiest and that one was intention. Yeah, great. So like I started my life as an entrepreneur and I don't want anyone to think that I'm some special human that I can be happy and you can't and blah, blah, blah. Mm. I started my company at 19. I worked till 3am 12 hour days because I had a big hole inside me and I don't have kids. So guess what I filled my time with? Of course I retired early. So there's that. Okay. Mm. Now the one that was actually the hardest was acceptance because mm. The whole reason I worked so damn hard all those years is because I never felt like I was good enough. I never felt like I was worthy of people's acceptance or love or anything. So I had to win the awards and I had to make the money because I had to be as good as them. Or if I was really feeling bad, I'll show them I'll be better than blah, blah, blah. It was really the actions of a very depressed woman who didn't love herself. And I say that with total vulnerability and I'm okay with that because, you know, Yes, it got me to where I'm going. I nearly killed myself in the process because turns out stress is the silent killer and you can basically destroy your body. That's a story for another day. Um, but acceptance was the hardest. I had to learn to unconditionally love myself. I had to learn to forgive myself for dumb crap I did years ago and decisions I made that turned out to be really bad and sales I lost and sales pitches that were like, didn't go so well, pissing off clients, disappointing my mom and blah, 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 and dreams I didn't go after. I had to forgive myself for all that. And I had to learn to look in the mirror and say, I like what you look like. I love you just the way you are. And you know what? If you got cellulite, who cares? You're still great and you're a wonderful human. And oh, and you know what? You weren't nice to your husband today. That's okay. He wasn't nice to you yesterday. You're still both good humans who do mm -hmm. dumb shit sometimes. And then there's like, there's so much in this. And I had to begin by acknowledging that first acceptance was one of the holes that I had to look at. Two, I had to evaluate my own performance in acceptance because at all points in our lives, each of us has been excellent in each of these six areas. We are rarely consistent or excellent in them. And that would be the goal, right? But I took a look at, okay, well, when have I accepted myself and what did that look like? And why did I do that? And, and what happened, right? So I began to really get a really solid sense of self-awareness around what optimal could look like for me and then where I was by comparison. Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. And I knew that the journey to getting to where I wanted to go was just living that way and kind of fake it till you make it, even when I didn't fully believe it and really starting to talk about it, communicate about it. And to your point earlier, you know, not believing that I was alone because I wasn't, I'd asked for help. I was very open with my husband, honey, I don't love myself. I want to love myself. Why do you love me? And just asking some really silly sounding questions like, Hey mom, why do you love me? Well, you're my daughter. Yeah, I know that. But why do you love me? Some mothers don't love their kids. Why do you choose to? So Mm -hmm. I could start to see things that maybe she saw that I didn't see. So I started to ask. I was absolutely fishing for compliments, 100%, unabashedly. (laughs) Feel free Mm -hmm. to do it. But like just looking for the things I couldn't see, looking for the things within myself that I could see, getting a clear picture of where I wanted to go. And then, damn it, just, just living in the discomfort of living that acceptance mentality and, and speaking to myself differently through kindness, like all of the other habits supported me in doing that. I chose to, you know, be kind to myself, be grateful all the time, be present with myself and add loads of goodness and really be intentional about all of it. And the other five habits that were easier for me, not easy, but easier, um, they helped me to kind of fortify this one big thing. Cause this one was the biggest hole. I didn't love me for years. This is, this is something I so deeply relate to. And so I'm going to go somewhere here and um, hopefully that's okay with you because I'm curious if you, if you resonate with what I'm about to say. So I don't know if you know what the Enneagram is, but um. I do. I'm, I'm an Enneagram three. Uh, I am too. And I knew you would ah, be just based no on way. what you shared. <laughs> Shut yeah. up. No, of course you are. Of course you're an Enneagram Are three. you my new best friend? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, and for those that don't know, the Enneagram is, uh, the Enneagram three is specifically uh, based around achievement and performance. And um, we source our worth from what we do. And uh, as someone who very much like you, Laura, did that with the accolades and the titles and the MVPs and the, the, you know, all of those things that I learned very early in life got me praise and got me love and got me acceptance Mm -hmm. and belonging was how I sourced it, you know, growing up and into adulthood and was actually the thing that was the catalyst for looking at all of the stuff that I had acquired in my doing and that was what the pile of, of shit that was like, oh, this is worthless. This is meaningless if I'm not happy, right? Um, if I'm not fulfilled, what is this all for? What does this all mean? Um, why have I worked so hard? And oftentimes for people who um, are so conditioned to to achieve and to to perform, it's very hard for us to come into acceptance because we've used self-criticism and that pain to motivate us into action yep. for so long. Yep. Like I said, you can condemn yourself into success or you can love yourself into it. Yeah. And it's the Enneagram three way to condemn yourself into it. You didn't even yeah. achieve enough. Work harder. Oh, you mm-hmm. didn't get enough accolades. Work harder. Yep. You flog yourself into it. Mm-hmm. Well, and I see you. Yeah, and it's, the acceptance at the beginning, it feels wrong because it's so polarizing and opposite of how you've ever motivated yourself 
to do anything that got you praise and acceptance. This is saying, hey, you don't have to do anything. You're okay as you are. And it's a shift from doing to being. Mm -hmm. Because I imagine when you go ask your mom, hey, mom, why do you love me? What you were searching for was not a, oh, because you get great grades. It was, or you retired early. It's because of the way you light up a room and your energy Mm -hmm. is contagious and you are just a bright light that everybody wants to be around and you make everybody feel so much like you were wanting the being, you know, Mm -hmm. I, and I, I know at least I have been when I've gone fishing for compliments, I don't need you to tell me I'm good at something. I know I'm freaking good at stuff. You know what I mean? And I've got the plaques to prove it. Yeah. (laughs) Please compliment my being. Yes. Oh my God. (laughs) You're so right. And you know what? I have to give my dad who gets a shout out so much credit for this. He is really good at complimenting my being. Mom Mm -hmm. is too, but I just haven't mentioned him. Like he was really good at saying to me, he goes, well, you know, sweetie, you're just a really kind person. You're, you know, you're really smart and you, you always know how to solve a problem. You're really good to animals. And that says a lot about you and you've got character and you do scary stuff. And I'm just really proud of who you are. And I was like, oh my God, I have feelings leaking out of my face. Thank you so much. (laughs) But yeah, it's insane. Like I'm guessing of these six habits, the acceptance might be one of the trickier areas for you too. Yeah, it's definitely an one that always invites me into uh into more uh there's always more to grow into and i think it's one that i get to cultivate intentionally uh within myself of asking weekly daily you know am i producing uh and performing out of fear or out of desire because this is what I'm compelled and called to do or because if I don't do this then I won't be loved I won't be accepted I won't be mm-hmm. validated I won't be desired or wanted or recognized you know the Enneagram three loves to be recognized um, mm-hmm. but to be recognized for our being feels oh so vulnerable <laughs> Yes. Oh, so vulnerable. Of like, and it's kind of icky, actually. Yeah, sometimes. like, ah, uh, can I hide? Can I hide? Because I've only been seen for the external. Mm-hmm. And it feels once you remove kind of those masks of this is who I am and you allow somebody to see you um, mm-hmm. without all of that, that's where a real intimacy starts. Oh, and, my God. Um, so true. With yourself, yeah. too. Like, like this is the most bonkers part of the whole thing. So mastery of these habits and I have achieved mastery of them. Presence continues to bother me. I have to consciously work on that one. I have ADHD. What do you want from me? So (laughs) hello. But when we can actually create our own internal wellspring of unlimited supply of is self-acceptance, we start realizing it. We don't need other people to accept us. Like I don't need other people to like me. I don't mm-hmm. need other people to agree with me. I don't need a lot of friends. I don't even want them. So it's like, if you insist on me being a certain way, otherwise I don't get to be your friend. I don't want to be your friend. Cause that's a party I don't want to go to like our, standards change, which is awesome. This is the crazy part. Girlfriend, I went from self-loathing, please like me, please be proud of me, please think I'm good enough to 
I like me. Why don't you like me? What the hell is wrong with you? I'm awesome. Right. (laughs) Genuine attitude. You know, when people are like, well, you know, I think you're crazy. Okay. Good for you. Like, well, I don't like you. Okay. You get to do that. Doesn't mean anything. And that doesn't pass my um, barrier. Like I like me and your judgment of me is your opinion and it is your view of the world and you're welcome to have it. I am constitutionally sound. I no longer need your approval. I no longer need your awards. I no longer need your money. I no longer need your compliments, although they're nice. Keep them coming. I don't, (laughs) I don't need any of this crap because I wake up every day and I just genuinely love me. You know, I got out of the shower and I was standing there naked doing my hair because it was like really, really hot. And I'm looking in the mirror and I'm like, well, you know what? You look great for 40, you know? And I'm just like, I wasn't trying to compare myself to what I could be and this and that. And I'm just like, no, I love me. These legs have carried me around for 40 years and they continue to keep on going. And that's the ass I sat on for 20 years while I was trying to build a company. And like, this is my body and my husband loves to be with me and I love to be with me. And this is my home in this life. So awesome, you know? And it's just... It's nice. And especially when someone does something to me, right? As in an Enneagram three, we don't like it when someone like withholds or says something to insult us, right? Really hurts. Um, it's like, it hurts more. Those things hurt less. And now my boundaries are much more solid. And now it's like, no, actually you're mistreating me. And that actually, that displeases me. And I'm okay with you not liking me by telling you that you've just displeased me. You don't get to do that. Now, before I never liked myself enough to put my opinion of me ahead of their opinion of me. So I would let people walk on me all the time. And now I don't do that. Now nobody walks on me. Even one of my vendors earlier today, he was basically professionally gaslighting me. I'm like, no, I see what you're doing. You're gaslighting me. We're done here. Fix this. Get back to me. <laughs> and what do you know? Wasn't a big deal. I didn't die. Yeah. I'm fine. <laughs> well, and I think just to bring this full circle and, and kind of to wrap things up, I think um, something that comes to mind that one of my teachers, uh, Peter Crone, says, he's like, if our peace or our happiness is in something external, whether it's in our money, our bank account, our health, even our relationship status, uh, and we've seen this over the last year and a half with with COVID, like those things can be taken from us like that. And mm-hmm. if our happiness um, is in any of those things, we're always at risk of losing it mm-hmm. and or it being taken from us. And so true happiness and what you've kind of outlined for us here is sourced internally. (laughs) And when we, (laughs) yeah. And when we, when we source it internally, like it's, it's something that despite what's happening around us as circumstances change, we can still cultivate the same level of inner peace and happiness even when things are good, you know, it's not something that's based on perfecting our circumstances, but something that I can have despite my circumstances. Absolutely. And, um, you know, the quote he says is, is true happiness is the end of the search for happiness. When we think it's something that we can get to something that we have to attain, not something that we have to, to be and embody. So true. There's yeah. a man that I want you to read about in the gratitude chapter of my book, one of the most inspirational people I ever met, 
flappable in his joy, Mm -hmm. in his gratitude. He has since passed away. Um, but he serves as one of the more inspirational figures that inspired me. And once you read about him, you'll definitely understand why, and he might stick out in your memory too. Yeah. I love that. Thank you so much for bringing your wisdom and all of you to the show. We appreciate you uh, and all that you do in the world. If people want to stay connected, which I'm sure they will, how can they get in touch with you, find out more about what you offer and uh, stay connected? So if you go to the six habits.com, the word six is spelled out the S I X habits.com. You can check out, uh, the book, the Ted talk, all kinds of things. Um, you can also go to Amazon. It's on Amazon. It's also on audible read by yours truly. And, um, yeah, get in my world. Let's learn about habits and get you closer to happiness. <laughs> yeah. You guys go buy it, go get in Laura's community. Uh, get more of of all that she has to offer. She's amazing. Thank you again for your time and for being on the Coachable Podcast. You guys, if you love this show, do me a favor. Please subscribe to the podcast. And if you feel called, leave a review. I would love to hear how the show is impacting you. But not only that, be a hero to somebody and share it with somebody in your life that needs to hear it. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, the trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.